This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to The Short Coat. From the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, I'm Dave Etler. As we record this, it's April 17th. Spring is here. The birds are shivering. The flowers are freezing. The grass is covered by a blanket of white here in Iowa City. But it's warm inside because I'm physically distant yet socially connected to my wonderful co-host, these kings and queens of medical education. Actually, just queens. We only have queens today. I was about to say, who among us is the king? <laughs> Me. These queens of medical education who also just happen to be in our medical scientist training program, say hello, Aline Sanduk. Hi. Ellen Voigt has joined us for the first time. Hello. Sahana Arubugam is rocking the mic like a vandal. Hello. And new co-host Maddie Walleen has stepped Hi. Uh, to the microphone. But if you think that's all, well, you couldn't be more wrong. We're also joined today by fourth year and soon to be general surgeon, Sarah Eikenberry. What's up, y'all? Sarah, I'm so glad that you're with us today as our guest. I asked you to join us because a new clerkship at the Carver College of Medicine. It's called the Health Policy Advocacy Clerkship. And you took it because you are in the distinction track whose name is too long for me to actually remember the it's like healthcare management science. What is it? Yeah, I, I, we just call it HDSM and now it has a P. So, oh, and I, H- I always have to struggle as well. Healthcare so I think delivery, science, science management, management and policy. And policy. Yep. Um, so you took this clerkship. Uh, what is it? Yes. So it's really just trying to get students more involved in the political process. It's kind of the end goal of this because, you know, especially with medical societies and now national medical societies as well, uh, we get a lot of policy put on us telling us how we're going to get reimbursed, where we can go to train and things like that. And so what really what we, what we see happening though, is a lot of this policy gets passed without, uh, little in with little input from physicians and from our side perspective and side of things. So they're just trying to um, introduce students to the whole process um, and then also just try to give them a voice as to what they can do and uh, see the impact of the change they can make. So per your, from your personal perspective, how did it come to sound like something that you should do? I have always kind of been interested in politics since a kid. Um, I remember walking in parades for local uh, council people and local senators on the city level. Um, I'm the youngest of five kids and uh, I was, I'm being the youngest, my siblings would always uh, ask questions and talk about things around the dinner table. And uh, that would sometimes revolve around uh, politics and policy. And my oldest sister was really interested in art, but my other sister was really interested in, in policy and politics. So that's kind of how it started. It was just kind of around the dinner table and uh, a lobbyist you know. from from birth by necessity, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really. I had to advocate for myself, you know, and being the youngest there. So uh, that's really how it started. And, um, you know, I, I, 
I appreciate research. I don't entirely enjoy research. And so I had to complete a project for this class. And I know, I'm sorry, Aline, right? Um, (laughs) You're actually, you're surrounded by MSDPs right now. Oh, yeah. So I just got a bunch of dark looks here. (laughs) Research job. It's rough. We're not debating that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so appreciative of things you guys do because I just know that's not quite what I want to do. So, you know, it was one of those things that they asked, you know, what project you want to do? And I said, I really don't want to sit and, you know, do bench research or, or uh, sift through some charts. But, you know, I, I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy talking about things. I can uh, very passionate person. So uh, this is something that just kind of, you know, fit me. I'm amazed that you are not interested in transferring minuscule volumes of liquid from one very small container to another very small container and then so on and so forth for many years in a row. That's incredible. To sounds, me. It sounds like a very action packed. It's riveting. Hey, I, I actually did two years of that in undergrad and that's actually partially what I was like, you know, I've done my two years and I think I'm good. You paid your dues. Yeah. Yeah. My pipette skills are, are probably pretty rusty now. Uh, but it was good for surgery, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good. When you um, so so you just wanted to do a policy project. I, I understand. You, that's all you. Yep. That that was your that was your goal. And how did you how did you move from there? I mean, did you have to find a policy to get behind? Yeah. So I I told the people. So I did my core year actually in Des Moines. University of Iowa does have um, some rotations you can do in Des Moines. And so I opted to do my entire year there. But that's also the capital of, of Iowa. So um, I got reconnected with the the, uh, the leadership at the Des Moines branch campus there. And, you know, I said, hey, I'm interested in this. And so they were like, great. Now, what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I actually research- reached out to uh, to a surgeon there in Des Moines. And I said, hey, you know, I'm, in, I'm interested in this policy thing, but I'm also interested in surgery and, sur- and medical education. Um, you know, so is there something along those lines that you think needs some advocacy for, or adv- you know, at the, at the state level? And he pretty quickly identified this project and it's called Stop the Bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason he identified it is because it's actually a national initiative um, of the American College of Surgeons, which I will be joining here very shortly. Well, I'm actually a student member already, but you know, joining more formally here shortly. Um, and so that's really just kind of how it went. I just took something you know I'm interested in that's gonna be lifelong learning and um, said, what can I do for this group? So tell us about the process that you thought you were getting into. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I've been having to do presentations and, and uh, papers and I, I've titled a lot of my things, uh, what eighth grade civics class never taught me. And uh, and I say that because, you know, we have this understanding, I think, of, of the politics process of you have this idea, you take it to a legislator, a bill gets drafted, there's some debate. And then, you know, after the end of six weeks, you get a bill. Um, and, and I'm I'm not going to lie. That's kind of actually what I was thinking. I was like, oh, this won't be bad. This won't be hard. You know, I'll just go up there. I'll pitch my idea. Somebody will like it and we'll move on. Uh, that's absolutely not at all <laughs> what it's like. Yeah. So you're talking about the uh, the uh, what the schoolhouse rock version. Yeah. Yes. Of, yes. I'm just a bill. Yeah. Of legislation um, where it's like, you mean oh, it's not this that is- simple. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a talking piece of paper that guides you through every step. I mean, and, and this is also like a clear like this isn't a controversial issue you're 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 talking about. <laughs> 
Right, right. So the so I, but I, more... if it were me, I would have gone and being like, oh, this is going to be a snap. Exactly. That's what I thought. I was like, hey, you know, this is so a little bit more about the project. You know, I stop the bleed is we um, and the analogy is it's like CPR, but for life threatening hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're trying to train people to stop bleeding. And, you know, a lot of people automatically kind of think of like Columbine school shootings. But in reality, um, there's a lot more common accidents that happen. So car accidents, you know, in school shop accidents, um, you know, kids, you know, accidentally falling through glass. There's just accidents are much more prevalent. And that's probably where you're going to have have to use this training. And so, right, that's exactly I was like, hey, this is good public policy, good public health. Uh, you know, it's something hopefully everybody can agree on. Yeah, nobody's going to be like, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm for people bleeding to death. I mean, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so yeah, I, w- I was just like, oh yeah, this will be a breeze, but yeah. So what was, <laughs> I was it, fooled. what was it really like then? Yeah, so there's a, a, a lot of collaboration, a lot of collaboration that goes on, um, which is good. You know, we want people working together. Uh, so that was kind of the first thing. And then you also just have to identify uh, where your weak points are and where the hurdles are going to be. So, you know, I got up there and there, uh, being public health and training, we thought the best way to do this is, is to get into the schools. Well, what I didn't realize, and this is where collaboration gets really important, is, you know, uh, yeah, this is a good idea, but guess what? The people who uh, who advocate for epilepsy and who advocate for childhood trauma, and they're all trying to get access to these schools. So now these schools are getting barraged with these ideas, and uh, and, and I get it. You know, like they have to sit there and they got it. You know, they have to say stop at some point because they also have to teach math and writing and art and music, and uh, so that was the biggest thing. It was just like, oh there's actually opposition to this, um, hmm. you know, and then, and then kind of figuring out, you know, we actually, we need to work with these people because, you know, I want to appreciate if somebody, you know, came in and said, Hey, you need to do that. You know, actually, you, well, really that happens to us all the time. You know, physicians, you need to complete this training on this drug. You need to complete this mandatory training about abuse. And, you know, and if, if people came in and started telling me I need to do more and more trainings, you know, I balk too. So something you talk about is, um, when I was reading about you is that you say that maybe data and statistics, things that we really like as maybe medical students doesn't always convince people. So is that a component of talking about Stop the Bleed was like finding stories to tell people? How did you convince people? Yeah, that was that was difficult. It was difficult, too, because there's not as much data or robust data about this yet. You know, we aren't uh, they do track trauma. You know, they do track uh, cause of death, but they don't always track tourniquet use. They don't track did this was this training effective, and it's also a newer program. You know, it's been out since 2015. Tourniquet use has been you know out for a long time, but there's also um, you know there's been changes in that. Uh, but but you know legislatures and they're barraged all the time with data and um, and numbers and fiscal numbers, but also stories and. You know, at the end of the day, people are people and we're all people. You know, we relate to stories that somebody tell us. We relate to, you know, the grandma recounting her first Christmas at the farm. That's that's just kind of who we are. And so uh, that that's just kind of where I found is like, okay, you know, if I could get a story, if I can get a good, good story for this. Or paint one. You know, I don't want to say paint one because that makes it sound like uh, fictional. But, you know, if I can come up with a good reason for this, um, I think it'll speak a little louder than to say we could prevent, you know, two out of every 10 deaths. 
uh, which would be awesome too. And that speaks volumes. But if you could also say, hey, you know, we had a, there's a kid down in Georgia who fell off the monkey bars, uh, broke their arm, which, uh, you know, injured their artery. And the teacher was trained to put on a tourniquet and save this girl's life. You know, that just speaks so much louder, I think, than to say, you know, there's 20% reduction in fatality. Did you have to choose between that sort of positive story you just used um, versus negative stories? Was there a thought process behind whether to do that? Yeah, we were really trying to, you know, we really tried to focus on the positives because. And I should say, I should, you you keep saying we, and I've been picturing this as a you thing, but there was a a few of you. Uh, I was the only student, but I say we, because I had a lot of help. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So who who are your helpers? Yeah. So I was working with, uh, his name is Dennis Tibbin. He's the director of external affairs at Iowa Medical Society. So he also works at the Capitol um, and he's the main lobbyist for the Iowa Medical Society. Uh, so he was really my mentor at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I also worked with uh, the surgeon I reached out to, Dr. Rick Sidwell. Um, and he was a good connection with the American College of Surgeons as well and represented just kind of the trauma um, side of things. Um, and then I just had some good encouraging support from the branch campus leader- leadership at, in Des Moines. Yeah. Okay, so getting back to the question, um, you chose you had to choose between positive stories and negative stories, um, and how did you make that determination? Right, the we really focused on the positive because initially, when you when you pitch this, you know, saying life threatening hemorrhages, people immediately already think of school shootings. They already think of kids dying. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to paint that picture. So that's one of those things that, unfortunately just the nature of it trauma and the, and the nature of the disease is is that's where it goes to so that's where we really had to um you know come up with stories like like that that one about the, the girl in georgia and you know even here closer to home um some of the iowa state troopers and police uh the policemen are being trained to to apply tourniquets properly and uh there was i believe it's buffalo iowa one of the policemen there um the police chief had been injured, I think, in a hit and run accident, and some of his colleagues came up and, you know, they were able to apply a tourniquet, use some of this training and, and save his life. I, in your report, you mentioned like doing a lot of research on CPR training and how that was introduced into school curriculums. And that was like a legislative process. Did you like learn anything from that, that you applied to what you were doing, like the way they did that and successfully? Yeah. So I learned it was done quite a few years ago and not many people remembered it. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, uh, when I would pitch this idea, a lot of people go, don't we already have CPR? And I go, yes, we do. And um, I'm actually from Iowa, uh, from Des Moines specifically. And I graduated in 2011 from high school. And I remember that being the first year that the CPR requirement uh, got put into place because there were quite a few of us in our senior class that they almost were not going to allow to graduate (laughs) because we did not, we didn't have that training done. Um, And so I knew what I, and then when I actually looked up the bill, it was done in 2008. It was actually when that bill got passed. And so it was, it took three years to actually get implemented as well. Um, so that was kind of, uh, but yeah, I was really trying to dig into that, say, you know, how were people successful with that project? Cause I was, you know, trying to 
hopefully replicate something similar for this. And uh, yeah, not many people around, not many people remember the process to be able to advise me. And the other thing too, is when I looked up that bill, uh, it's like section C line 26 paragraph B or something like it is deeply hidden in like, I think 15 pages of policy. So, you know, that's another, it's another thing, you know, we always hope that things are, are honest and transparent, but politics is, I would, I would say is anything, but, <laughs> and I think part of the CPR got tucked into something that they wanted passed and, mm-hmm. you know, people were easily able to look past that part or, or, you know, nobody's going to disagree with teaching CPR in schools. You right. know, that's, a, that's a good trait and it's something good to teach. When you looked at that CPR timeline, were you like, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> this, is, this is worse than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I really, um, and that was also kind of going back to the collaboration. So uh, Dennis being a full-time law, being the lobbyist there all, all year round and, and having much more, many more connections with fellow lobbyists, I was able to connect with one of the education lobbyists. And, uh, you know, she even said that she's like, even if this gets passed this year, like you would even need to write into the the bill that you're proposing, you know, like you've got to give us at least two or three years because this is going to be new curriculum. We've got to figure out how we're going to track this. You know, we're going to figure out how to get it to all the schools, who's going to teach it. Um, so that was pretty, which I was like, you know, that's reasonable. This is, it's a statewide thing. And, and, and so I, you know, you just kind of take it stride. And once you can understand, once you can understand the reasoning behind things, it's, you know, a lot less frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is the reason behind this, this, uh, I don't know, this, this timeline, this slowness, this opacity. Um, do you, do you, do you know why? I mean, like I say, we all learned the eighth grade, uh, version, <laughs> version of this, um, and it turns out to not be true. There must be a reason why. Is it just human bullheadedness or what? Uh, that's part of it. And that was a, some another really big learning experience for me is especially working in medicine. You know, somebody comes in with uh, questionable appendicitis. You know, we got to work them up. We've got to get a diagnosis. And if he truly does, you know, they need to go to surgery. And and that's the, the environment I'm used to working in. You know, you got to pace decisions made. Right. Executed right. quickly. Right. Exactly. Uh, but if you think about that and apply that policy and politics, especially, uh, the repercussions then get multiplied. You know, we aren't talking about one patient. We're talking about a whole city, a whole state, a whole country. And so, you know, something that works for one person isn't going to work for everybody. And so, uh, I mean, that's kind of the, 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 the process of politics. And I guess I came to kind of appreciate that because I said, I just want this bill. You know, I'm here for four weeks. I want to get this in. I want to get this over with. I want to get this passed. But that's castle kind of a scary thing to think about that somebody could come in with an idea and get it passed you know whole legislation uh, or a whole body of legislators and get something passed and put into law within four weeks uh that you know that's that's to me i was like oh you know i i wouldn't appreciate if somebody said practicing medicine and surgery is now illegal you know and, and right that wouldn't that wouldn't imply a lot of consideration and thought and right i mean, I mean we, you know, we all complain about legislation that makes no sense as it is um and if you can imagine, right. <laughs> yeah you can imagine that it was all done that way good good lord yeah i mean and that's a hyperbole you know somebody would would nobody nobody would in their right mind you know sure. come in with that but but you know something a little bit more oh hey you know let's uh increase redemption redemption value from five cents to ten cents 
Um, you know, and, and that, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but then, you know, there's sometimes with this process is purposely slow so that we don't have sweeping changes in our system. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it seems it. a lot like medicine where, you know, we, we, the, you know, you guys as MSTP students, you know, you're going to come up with new ideas or you as a surgeon are going to come up with a new way of doing something and you can't necessarily just start uh, doing it. You have to, you know, there, there's a, there's a long sort of tale of people having to, you know, buy into that idea and, and work with it and, and uh, vet it and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of similar, I think. Medicine is a pretty conservative uh, practice in general. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I'm sure all of you guys can say, can chime in on that MSTP part, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating, you know, having the FDA and having your IRB, but that's there for a purpose. So after, you know, so, so you've, at this point, you're, uh, you're speaking with people, you're collaborating, you're talking with them. What's the next, what's the next thing that had to happen? Yeah. And, uh, actually the first, really the, also the first thing or simultaneous, I should say, is I had to really actually start pitching this to legislators right off the bat. Um, you know, I'd had some discussions previously, but honestly, they were inadequate because uh, I just didn't understand and didn't realize the entire process. So once I got up there, you know, that first and second day, I was like, hey, I got some legislation. I got an idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is first off extremely intimidating because, you know, these are people you have never, ever met before. And then, you know, they're people that have a respect, you know, respectable role in society and in their communities. And you're this you know, I, I kind of, you know, it's like, I'm just this young girl who's coming up and trying to change the world and have an idea, you know, and, and I think sometimes I was a little too dismissive of that, but at the same time, like there was some truth to that as well. Um, well, were there so people just, who were like, whatever kid, go away, you bother me. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt like I'd be viewed. And I think some people did, but, uh, but you know, you also got to, I always say, pull on your big girl pants. You know, you got to step up and you got to say, Hey, no, I'm still a person. I'm still a citizen of Iowa. I have this idea. It's a good idea, you know, and, and it's been implemented in other States and you just, you don't take, I don't say you don't take no for an answer, but you just, you persevere, you know? And so I just kept trying and trying again. And we know, and a uh, legislator saw that I've sent them three notes that day. <laughs> I think they realized, uh, I might as well just talk to this person to get it over with. Um, <laughs> well, you say you're... sometimes, Go ahead. I was just going to add, sometimes I think being a new person in a field full of veterans is like, like rolling up on a dealership with Cadillacs and you're here with like your Fisher price car, like, <laughs> and then eventually you you know graduate up to the Cadillac and then they take you seriously if you're persistent enough so that's awesome that you were able to like you know get the message across and get them on board with an like get them passionate about an idea that you have already kind of determined in your mind is helpful for people yeah that's a really good analogy I like that <laughs> you also said though that um that some that it, that on occasion being the new person kind of worked might have worked in your favor a little bit um because they're spending a lot of their tar- their time talking to lobbyists and other um, politicians, and you know, in comes little Sarah with her with her good idea. Maybe it's kind of fun to talk to somebody new. Yeah, I definitely felt that with some of these legislators because you know they are 
inundated with this lobbyist from that group and this one and that one. And, you know, some of these people, it's, it's great. You know, they have a good working relationship and, you know, the chair of the education committee. Yeah. I hope that he has a good working relationship with the uh, lobbyist for the school administrators of Iowa and the PEI and and other groups, you know, that represent our educators because he he should be talking to those people. Um, But yeah, when you're get day in and day out and you just get um, inundated with all these different requests from different groups, sometimes it can be refreshing to see a young person at the Capitol. And then when I, you know, I'd say, hey, I'm a medical student from Iowa and I plan to return to Iowa to practice. You know, they really perk up then, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, this is exactly what we want. This is what we're looking for. And, um, you know, and so then things kind of went another way. And then, you know, and then they also realized they're like, somebody even asked me like, are you supposed to be in class? <laughs> it's like, well, well, this is my class, actually. Um, you know, I am. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's like this. This truly is my class. You know, I'm learning about these things right now and I'm learning how to do this. Um, And I imagine some of them were like, oh, crap. They made a a class more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And 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 so I got a lot of compliments about that, you know, and a lot of them thanked me for my time. And then, you know, and and at the conclusion of one of my conversations with the legislator, you know, she was like, Hey, I, you know, it was a really pleasure talking with you. Thanks for coming up, taking your time. You know, you're, you're an eloquent young spokesperson for this cause. I really appreciated that. And you know, I, you can't help but beam after that. Yeah, after yeah. Hearing that. Yeah, of course. The clerkship was four weeks long, which doesn't sound like enough time to really get a bill. I mean, we know now it does, it's not enough time to get a bill passed, um, signed into law. So, but you must've, did you do things I think you did things before even the clerkship began to Yeah, get I did started. have to put some Yep, I had to put some time in before uh just because <laughs> that was another learning thing, you know, the legislative session starts in January in Iowa, but you know, all these ideas really actually get start rolling in June or July to be honest and mm. and that's when these organizations are starting to look at uh what do we want to uh what do we want to focus on coming up next? at this next season and this next session. So I, yeah, I had to identify who I was going to work with, uh, what project I wanted to work on. And then, uh, you know, I had to also just get support from other organizations. And part of the reasoning for that was to get the assistance of the Iowa Medical Society, but then also that is a pretty good indicator uh, to weed out ideas. And, you know, that can be good or bad, but, you know, if somebody comes to a legislature and says, Hey, I have this idea with the support of, you know, organization X and Y versus, Hey, I have this idea. Um, you know, it speaks a little bit more when, when things have been vetted. So, um, you know, I had to actually submit this proposal, submit this idea to the Iowa Medical Society to be able to get their support. Um, and then I actually did have a conversation with the education lobbyist before things began. And that's when I realized I was like, Oh, this isn't going to be a four week. Right. Everybody's happy, jolly process. Right. Uh, you know, because she right off the bat, she's like, "Yeah, we aren't going to support this." I'm like, uh, "Okay, yeah. uh, you know, p- a little cool. pivot." Did it's they give no you a reason? <laughs> Did they give you like specific reasons why, or was it what you had mentioned before? They have like too many people coming it, to them. It was primarily uh, too many people coming because they were like, you know, she's like, "Hey, this is noble. This is a great idea," but. You know, she's like, we get we get six of these each year, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we have to realize what in you. And so rather than kind of pick and choose, they just kind of, I think, blanket say no. And the other, you know, I was also thinking about this, too, especially when it comes to medical medical ideas. Uh, 
I don't know if the school would be comfortable picking and choosing what is the medical emergency to, to give training to. You know, like how how somebody who does not always recognize nuances, how are they, the medical nuances, how are they going to choose between asthma, seizures, you know, and diabetes when you're talking about teachers and students. And, and so to them, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, these could all be life-threatening conditions. But to you know, somebody who's been trained four or five years physician, you know, they'd be like, oh, you know, you know, in our mind, we would, you know, I maybe put diabetes because it's more common and yeah, it could be deadly in kids. And, you know, we would start, we would start prioritizing in our mind, but I don't think they would be comfortable doing that. Especially when you have all these stories, you know, my kid has a seizure in his classroom. My kid has diabetes and he's a pretty fragile diabetic and I'm concerned. You know, when you have parents uh, knocking on your door, that's hard to say no. Um, I'm, I'm realizing as you're talking about this campaign that like, oh, this isn't something we already do. And I'm amazed that that's not already like part of just basic public health measures to let people know. Like when you mentioned tourniquets, I was like, yeah, obviously, like how do we not already do this is kind of the question that I had as you were talking about. So, shocking. yeah, I got, I, I actually kind of got that too, you know, because I would just start talking with other lobbyists and other people in the Capitol while I was waiting and somebody goes, we need a law for this? Like, it seems so <laughs> common sense, right? Like, of right. course, this is a good idea. Um, but yeah, like, and to my knowledge, um, they are schools are required to do CPR and then anything kind of beyond that, even basic first aid uh, can be included in health class. But health is not required for high school seniors. Some some uh, school districts are starting to make that required because there's just, you know, smoking, STDs. There's so many good public health measures to educate kids about so they're starting to make that they're starting to realize that but uh statewide it is not it's not a required curriculum interesting alan did you have something yeah i wanted to know what the status is now of your bill where are you in the process yeah so um let's see i was gonna say what have i all walked through here uh kind of the beginning and working with people collaborating and then Mm -hmm. yeah it was just a lot of um, I just had to start talking to different legislators. Finally, one said, hey, this is a good idea. Uh, we got a bill drafted. Um, and then this was another thing, which the the bill on our schoolhouse rock mentions it, but doesn't quite illustrate it. <laughs> uh, you know, once you get a bill, it has to be actually introduced on the floor and then it gets referred to a committee and then it gets referred to a subcommittee. So I was able to make it, the bill was able to make it to the subcommittee level. Um, I was able to actually talk to the subcommittee in Iowa was made up of three people, two of the two majority, one minority. So I was actually able to talk to all three of them, which helped a lot because then, you know, they knew who I was, knew what my idea was about. And then I was able to answer any questions that they would have. Um, So it got through the subcommittee and then it has to go back to the committee. uh, And that actually happened during week five actually the subcommittee happened during week five i was very grateful that my next uh uh, my next program clerkship director was very understanding and um you know i was like hey i have this going on do you mind if i take some time you know time off to go to des moines um and he and he was okay with that so um it got through subcommittee and then it went to committee the next week which was actually what they call funnel week uh you have to 
uh, bills have to meet certain requirements and make certain steps to be able to survive. So I had to get through that. I had to get this passed through the education committee during that week, which thankfully it did. Um, it went straight down party lines. Unfortunately, I was hoping this would be something that could be bipartisan. Um, but uh, there are some other, I think people tried to tack on some uh, monies to it. So they were trying to, you know, increase amount of money spent with schools if we're going to include this. Um, and it did actually, it passed through the education committee. So then um, after that happened, it's it's what they call eligible floor debate. Um, and that's where it was just kind of a big, long waiting period. So week six or 10, it was literally just kind of sitting there. And that's actually where it is now. So the Iowa legislative session was, I think, suspended during week 10 um, was when COVID hit. And because it was, I believe, another funnel week, the final funnel week. So you have to hit those two time ports or time points to be able to survive as a bill. Um, and so it's just kind of out there in limbo. Realistically, I think it's probably dead just because when they come back from COVID, this is probably not going to be high in the priority list, which yeah. is, you know, completely understandable. I can't, you Do know, they, I, is, I don't. Is there any obligation for them to follow up on it, though, at some later date? Or can they just be like, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, it is kind of a meh. Okay. Um, it will forever be like in the government database somewhere mm. um, since it's gotten this far. And I think since it's at that point, anybody in the future could pull this. So somebody could say, hey, we had this bill back in this time and I want to reintroduce it. Um, you know, a legislator could have on their own prerogative do that and reintroduce the bill. But there's no obligation to do that. So you probably have to do a lot of that work over again to, to uh, get that accomplished. Yep. Yep. Either me or, or likely, I mean, I'm, uh, I actually matched for residency down in Tennessee, so yeah. I'll be a little sad to leave, but, um, you know, exciting for a new venture. Uh, so I will not be able to continue on with this project, but you know, if, uh, if I'm back in five years and it <laughs> hasn't progressed much, I could reintroduce yeah, it or yeah. if not, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe another student will take this on or even just another surgeon or somebody else who thinks this is a good idea. Yeah. Ideally, if it had gone through that second funnel week, what would have happened to it next? Like, what are the next steps for it to get passed? <laughs> this is the fun part of politics. So that was uh, all on the House side, and it would mm. have to repeat the exact same thing on the Senate. I so okay. I would literally have to have some of these exact same conversation now with senators. Uh, this entire time I was working with the House of Representatives, um, but then it would have to go back over to the Senate introduce on the Senate floor, refer to the Senate committee, have a subcommittee, then go back to the committee and then go back to the floor. Um, and then once you have both of those bodies, uh, chambers and agreement, um, which both of them can also, you know, submit, um, submit changes to the bill mm -hmm. and that the amendments, that's a technical word I was looking for. Uh, each of them can amend. And so they have to actually come to this, you know, then they have to, they have to get together and agree to disagree or agree to agree. Um, and then it gets sent on to the governor. So yeah, this is, uh, it's pretty, it was able to go pretty far for uh, being the first year and for not having some of these conversations previous <laughs> that should have happened. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it was still not even halfway through the process. <laughs> <laughs> So you talked a little bit about um, kind of the interesting ways that 
you communicate when you're up at the Capitol and getting meetings with these legisl- legislators. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, like how you went about actually setting up these meetings with the people that you needed to meet with. That was another huge learning part for me. I was like, can't I just send them an email, schedule a 10 o'clock coffee day and we can, you know, go go down, grab a cup of coffee, talk about this. Uh, that's not at all. That's, you know, that's how kind of we, especially students, were like, hey, if we need to contact somebody, uh, you know, text them or email them and set up a time. Uh, that's not at all how legislator work, legislation works. So um, they are there at the Capitol and then you essentially have to send a note into the chamber, which means that you write a note on a piece of paper, give it to a door page, who gives it to another door page, who then takes it to the senator or their secretary. And then, you know, if they're able to come out, they come out, hopefully, they come out in 15, 20 minutes and come talk to you. And if not, you get your note returned. Um, so that was just a huge, I was like, we do what? Like, wow. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> what well, yeah. is paper anymore? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. What does it, this implement? I don't even know if I know what a page is. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was. It was. I was. I was just like, this is so antiquated. Like <laughs> a page I, is just like a runner, right? Like yeah, they just. Yes. It's like a gopher for paper. No yeah. Things. Yep. And in Iowa, a lot of them are high school seniors uh, and they, they graduate early. And so they graduate usually in December and then they go and they're a, they're a page for the Senate or the House of Representatives. But yeah, all they do is like they hand out. No, they they go to meetings. They're kind of some of the roll call. They take roll call at meetings. They uh, pass notes between the constituents and the senators. They deliver um, the bills from, you know, they get printed off the press downstairs and they run them upstairs. Yeah, there, there's messenger pigeons who speak English. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Confined to the Capitol. So, um, but yeah, it, and, and so it's really sometimes, and then you also don't know who's in the chamber, you know, so I could send a message in and the person could have been gone for six hours already. Like, uh, you, you don't have, there's no status board, you know, saying who's in and who's out at the time. Um, they do sometimes tell you what, when, uh, when committees meet and so if you know your representative is on this committee you know don't go between one and two because he's in a meeting but yeah some of the unconventional techniques though that uh i would usually kind of do more of the wait outside the chamber and see if they get my note and come out to talk but you know i was (laughs) some of the other more experienced lobbyists uh one of them black blocked a pathway for a senator so essentially they had to go through them (laughs) to Ah. be able to get what you know yeah she's like i played fullback <laughs> um you know and other people are just saying like oh if you stand here you can see that door and that's where they're going to be coming out of <laughs> or even just like wait outside this door at this time and hopefully you'll catch them um and, and it was some ninja level intervention did you have to like write down their schedules did you have like a notebook of everybody's schedule in there yeah i started doing that actually like i um i, I was like i made it a goal so these people are in and out, in and out constantly and have meetings here and meetings there. And you don't, you sometimes you do know their schedule, sometimes you don't. And so I just, I literally was like, you know, if I talk to one legislature per day, I'm going to be good. Like that's <laughs> like, let's start low. <laughs> um, and, and so that was kind of my goal is just to at least communicate with one per day. And I did, I did meet that. And some days I talked to three or four, but some days it was honestly hard to get that one. So I started kind of targeting. I was like, Hey, this person's in an area like some of the Iowa City people, I was like, hey, I'm a you know, University of Iowa student. They should come out and talk to me. And so, you know, I targeted them and I did. I was like, 
okay, they have a meeting, they're on these committees and they have a meeting at this time, this time, this time. So, you know, hopefully two to three will be a good time to catch up. And then I'd go on to the next guy. I was like, okay, I should talk to this person because he's on my subcommittee. He has meetings at this time, this time, this, you know, and, and I really did. Yeah, I started uh, a notebook and it, it feels uncomfortable because it's like, I feel like I'm stalking them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but it's it's really like I, I kind of expressed that to some of these lobbyists that they were just kind of laugh. I think they're kind of laughing because I was so young and naive because that is you know it they're to like, them. Uh, duh, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This is what you were, do. That's precisely. They were like, oh yeah, and, and usually that committee meets in this room at this time, and I was like. Oh. Uh, you know, I can tell you the normal range of sodium. <laughs> like, <laughs> I bet the real reason they were laughing is because they were like, "Oh shit, that's right. That's what we do. We're professionals. Yeah. <laughs> We're professional stalkers." Yeah. Somebody when somebody said, "I've I've heard the analogy of a you know a, a stalker ex boyfriend," and that's kind of what we do. And I was like, "Oh my! Oh wow! That's so funny." Um, I did physician day on the hill, which is just like what you were talking about, but you only go on one day. It's like with all the students and a bunch of physicians and we all go lobby for like a single cause that the Iowa Medical Society asks us to do. So I don't know if you've done that before, but it's exactly what you described. They are like, let's set up a free lunch, but purposefully we're only going to have one line. So it's really, really long and that all the senators have to come and get in line and then you can trap them and talk to them and they can't escape. I was like, Whoa. Wow. what? <laughs> free food and a trap? It's like not free anymore because you have to talk to me and yeah yeah in my mind <laughs> no these are the strategy like that's why there were so many adjustments in thinking you know mm -hmm. like first off just the prop like like how it kind of describes something comes with appendicitis you you get you diagnose you have a plan you execute and that does not work at the capitol <laughs> and then I mean, yeah like you're stocking people it seems like it kind of does but only certain parts like some parts you make a plan kind of execute it very quickly like in the sense of like figuring out where that person's going to be and then positioning yourself close to them in order to like facilitate the conditions to like exchange information. But when it comes to like the legislative process itself, like that's very slow for a reason so that like change that affects everyone's lives very drastically doesn't happen, you know, hastily. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good analogy because I always kind of oh, joke. It's also a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, uh, I had to hurry up to talk to the senator and get this meeting in that was five minutes and I had to communicate very quickly, you know, within a minute of what my idea was and what the potential pitfalls of what we're asking. Um, and then I would have a break for about an hour and a half because, you know, the Republicans would go caucus and the Democrats had three different meetings running, you know, and and so then I'd wait. And that's when I would kind of figure out, oh, which schedule do I need? Who do I need to find now? Um, and then, you know, you'd go out at the top of the hour again, be like, hopefully they have it or towards the end of an hour, like hopefully they haven't left yet. They shouldn't have this meeting that goes on this, time, you know. And so, yeah, there is a lot of kind of hurry up. And, and even with this bill that I had, um, it went pretty quickly between the subcommittee to the committee to the like to the floor. Like that all happened within the span of like two weeks. And it took two weeks, two and a half weeks just for this to even initially get introduced. So, yeah, you know, there's a if you just changed out like four or five words of the things you just said, you just described our days as scientists. Honestly. <laughs> like, oh, if I just plan my day out right, I could get this experiment done. I could get this Western blot started. But then I have a half hour. I can just go for a run or like grab a bite to eat. And then I got to, you know, coincide like running into your PI and then like 
the number of times I'll walk with someone to a meeting they're already going to so that I can communicate information. I'm like, oh, well, when do you jog? Yeah, I jog at that time, too. I'll just meet up with you and then we can talk while we jog. You know, it's it's not unlike kind of. Yeah, I don't know the process of science. So I can I can relate to what you're saying. It's it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, maybe we need to start recruiting recruiting you guys to come to the Capitol. <laughs> a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of endurance there to tap into. Do you? So you said uh, in your paper that you shared with me, um, policy, and you said it actually earlier in the show. Policy is set without physicians' knowledge and input. Oftentimes, um, do you get any sense for for why that happens? I mean, my perception or my thought is that doctors and scientists were once sort of reluctant to get involved in politics where they at least felt on a professional level that it, i don't know it wasn't their place or that it was beneath them or that it was enough to be a healer or to contribute to you know medical knowledge or whatever and i i guess and I, i'm wondering if you think that's true um yeah th this is a i should also kind of say a caveat to that um there's quite quite a bit of policy that gets you know gets introduced at least without physician input and knowledge but then uh that's also kind of the it, it, lobbyists to me was a double-edged sword there is a purpose for them but then at the same time i think sometimes they cloud constituent voices mm. um and so that's also kind of the purpose of some of these lobbyists is they do like iowa medical society they take a look at every bill that comes through and says hey do we need to get on board with this do we need to let people know about this or is this something that's going to pass and i don't need to bother them um and i think there's a couple reasons physicians are a little bit I don't say reluctant to get involved, but then also uh, just practically, you know, I think partially is there is a kind of a stigma of uh, I'm the physician, I'm a doctor, I heal, I do medicine, and you're the politician, you do the policy. You know, there's kind of those silos that get created. Um, like, don't bother me, I won't bother you. But then also just the practicality, the busyness of, of our profession. You know, I was the only race, reason this really worked for me is because I had four weeks off to dedicate my time to this. Um, and, you know, I sat in on some subcommittees where some of these bills were being discussed and there was no physician present. I was the only one with any sort of physician background. Um, and for some of the, the bigger ticket items that like right now, there's been a huge uh, debate about tort reform. So some liability changes to the insurances. Um, and when those meetings were held, they usually would try to bring in a physician or two. But we would kind of we were talking afterwards and you know and another difficult thing is like one of the physicians who sat in on one of those meetings he goes these people don't realize i literally admitted five people to the icu to last night and put three of them in on vent you know like that's we go from sometimes treating some of the sickest of patients um and then you're also asking me to go down to the capitol to share my opinion and my voice on some legislation that is going to change the way I practice um, and or it might not. But it, it, there's just some of that practicality of the busyness of it, of it and too many demands on my time. And then you have to kind of sort out. And then, you know, they uh, as physicians, I think we kind of also feel inadequate. Like I didn't I didn't know what this whole process was until I until I did it, you know, and, and a physician who thinks of Schoolhouse Rock <laughs> you know that's it's gonna be kind of a shock when they realize wait a subcommittee and then a committee and then i have to meet with this legislature but they're my you know like it it's it's a whole process um that we don't always get ed good education on um and i think so i think uh, physicians are starting to become more aware of 
of the policy that gets passed. But, you know, there were, there was one policy in Iowa that got introduced and it was going to change the way like ambulatory surgery centers uh, got credentialed or something like that. And I was just first off, I was like, what? Like, what are they trying to do and why is this trying to go forward? But then, you know, I don't even think I, probably most of the surgeons who this would affect, you know, didn't even know about that. I had no idea that, um, was, that was coming. Right. And it wasn't a big, it, it wasn't a big ticket item. It wasn't a big bill. I don't, I'm not even sure that one may have probably died, but um, that bill probably died. But, but yeah, there's uh, so many people just have ideas that cross into so many different uh, silos into so many different areas of our lives that uh, it's hard to keep track of it all. And then, yeah, I think some of it's just sometimes the sheer number of, of things that try to get involved in. And then you just also have to practically pick and choose your battles. You know, is this something I'm going to sink my resources into um, to fight against? Or, uh, you know, there was another bill that came out that was like going to require physicians essentially to like on the third time an opiate, I think, had to be renewed. They were going to have to uh, like counsel them again. And I was just thinking like, I feel like every time a physician prescribes an opiate, especially in in the current environment, like we always like tell them about the risks and benefits. Like that's something that we are acutely aware of and that that is our job. So now you're asking us to make to essentially like put another line in the medical chart to say that we've done this. And I was like, and then me thinking practically, I'm like, epic, that's just going to become a dot phrase that we're going to put in and not even think about it. And we're doing it to check a box. So I, I guess I don't know if I quite answered your question to the full extent, but I think those are just some of the things that that go on as to how a physician or why a physician gets involved or not. Do you in light of this experience, um, is that is that reluctance, do you think, to get involved changing to any significant degree or is it still just practically speaking? I can't do this. I'm going to rely on the IMS to to be my spokesperson. I would say in Iowa, um, I think it is starting to change. And partially I say that's because we had a huge turnout on Physician Day of the Hill. So Ellen, I'm glad you were able to go and I was able to participate in that as well. Um, and I think that's kind of evidence. And and because they're, they're also starting it to see, hit home. You know, one of the um, family medicine residencies in Cedar Rapids had to, is closing. And that's, you know, that was a service to the community that's no longer there. And then a lot of these physicians are, with the current tort reform and liability, some of these physicians, either their rates are increasing or they can't even get quotes for malpractice insurance. So then that's really starting to hit close to home for them. And so then they're starting, I think some of them are starting to wake up and saying, uh, what's going on? What's going on in our state? What's going on with my practice? Yeah, we've said this before on the show. Medicine is politics in 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 this in this era, um, yes. and maybe in the past it wasn't so much, but that has completely that has completely changed. Um, all sorts of decisions are made for physicians for you know as to how they can manage their patients and how they can make medical decisions um, decisions that were traditionally left up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think on the balance, it's probably necessary for physicians to get involved in legislature, even if. Even if they don't necessarily want to, I I wouldn't want to. This sounds this sounds terrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, interesting, but sort of in a, a dumpster fire, interesting kind of way. Yeah, my my parents are very cautious. Or they're they're I don't I don't guess I don't know how quite to describe them, but but they're you know they're just really 
Uh, they're a little concerned. Maybe I get, might get pulled into this too much. <laughs> yeah, know, well, that was my like, next question. Is... Do you feel like there's a future for this uh, uh, impulse in you that you grew up with? I mean, you can blame it on them. You can say, look, <laughs> you guys made me do this around the dinner table. So... Uh, <laughs> Right. Right. So, uh, you're really, um, you know, I, I think I even kind of wrote it in the paper, uh, kind of how I said at the beginning, I have a huge respect for physician scientists cause I know that's not quite my cup of tea, but, uh, you know, I kind of envision myself maybe becoming a physician politician, mm-hmm. uh, because I see a need, I see that we need to speak up and I'm not, I, I hate being on the sidelines. You know, that's whether it's someone who's surgery, I can actively go in, take care of somebody's appendix, and I will know that they are better. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I've taken care of the problem. And and this is something, you know, I've, I've had, thankfully, I've had success in. It wasn't easy, but I did have some success. So I, I think I also told this to another uh, radio show host. But I said, you know, uh, I, I think I kind of got my toes wet during this experience, but I think at some point I'm going to become way steep, <laughs> uh, way steep in politics. I don't, uh, practically speaking, you know, residency is going to come in and uh, that I, I probably won't be able to, but um, it's something that I want to be able to advocate for my patients. And I want to know, I, I want to know what's going on because if somebody comes up and says, Hey, this sounds like a good idea. And all these legislators are like, Oh yeah. And I, you know, and I'm able to say, heck no, because you're going to be doing X, Y, and Z to right. my practice. And this is not good care for our patients. You know, I want to be able to have that voice. There are other ways too, that you mentioned in your paper, um, that physicians advocate for their patients, right? I mean, there's insurance advocacy for your patient trying to get coverage for them. Is that all part of this? Could that be part of this clerkship? Do you think is that because that's that is a that is, in fact, a, you know, a sort of a more direct way that physicians that all physicians have to get involved. Right. The way the um, policies or the elective is structured right now, um, I think they're they're wanting to take on four students. And it actually, the, the projects kind of vary. So one of them would be working with Iowa Medical Society so much more on the policy and, mm-hmm. and working at the Capitol. But I believe another one you could be partnered with, like the Des Moines Area Religious Council. And I think it's actually working um, on some food bank issues. Mm. And, and so, so I, th- the right now, this is, it's a very young policy or young elective. And I know they are, you know, I, the reason I, uh, for, for the listeners out there, I actually wrote a paper. It was about 14 pages and then another 14 pages of, of appendix, which was just like all my notes and, and other things going on. Um, but partially it's because they were asking a lot of feedback. Um, so I, I just say that to say that this elective is still kind of young. So I think there is a lot of room in, um, um, and also in my experience, you know, they were very adapted to what the student wanted. And, you know, I said, hey, this is something I think I want to do and I want to want to get involved. And they we're like, great. And so, you know, I think if a student came and said, you know, hey, I want to work on the food shortage area in Iowa City. And I think this is a good way and I can advocate and talk with these politicians. You know, I think they do probably want to get you talking with legislators, at least to get you used to that experience. But, you know, you can talk with legislators in August and September. Um, it doesn't have to be January. But um, so, yes, there are some. They, they are like having this elective be, I think, January, February or March right now. But, um, you know, there's probably some open or not. You know, students can probably uh, figure out how to structure their own as well. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, there's there's many ways physicians can advocate and need to advocate for patients. Sarah, I was wondering uh, how much of a blueprint you were given coming into this elective if like you how much control did you have over what you ended up doing how much guidance did you get or did you have to kind of figure it all 
up for yourself? Because it sounds like a huge learning curve and nothing in our medical training so far would prepare us to just know what to do. Yeah, there was a there was a huge learning curve. That's that's correct. And the fact that I was the inaugural student, um, there wasn't much of a blueprint, you know, because I was like, hey, what were you guys thinking about this? They were like, oh, we aren't sure. I was like, okay. Um, you know, there's uh, what, there's a quote by George Patton that I really liked. I think I included it in that. But it's, you know, you, you tell your, you know, he was a general. So you tell your soldiers what you want accomplished and not how to do it. And you'll be surprised by their ingenuity. And that's, I guess I kind of also took that to heart. Like my goal was to get some legislation introduced, hopefully passed. Um, and how am I going to do that? And it was nice because I had a lot of support along the way, but, and I, I came up with, I was like, I want to do this and this and this. And then, you know, uh, Dennis was like, uh, that might not be feasible, but try this method. And so it was nice because I didn't feel micromanaged. Um, but yet I was able to get things done and, and accomplished. So I think, there, there wasn't much of a blueprint, but I also appreciated that. I think there will probably, after my experience, there probably they'll have at least a few drawing plans, maybe. Yeah, you, um, you, uh, you got to start at making that blueprint. So. Yeah. Yep. You set an important precedent. It sounds like. Yeah. I, I did. I did actually kind of warn them though. It's like you know uh, that I've, I've had a lot of success, but I don't know if I would ever encourage somebody. To, to do it the method I did, you know, I was like, yeah, I think you should probably have a few more conversations before going in, uh, just so that you're much more of a, I'd say team player. Um, so that you don't shock the education community when you're trying to put new legislation on them. Um, so there are some things, you know, and I, I also definitely said, I said, you know, my outcome was I got legislation introduced. It's like, but you should not use that as a level for all students. Cause <laughs> you, you might've might got lucky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exceptional. Yeah. yeah. And depending on, you know, what they're advocating for, it might not need legislation or if it's something highly controversial and that's just not the year for it, they won't ever get legislation. So it's like there are a lot of other things that you can uh, use as outcomes and not not having an actual bill at the end of this uh, elective is OK. Yeah. Do you All think right. that you had an well, advantage? Oh, no. Go ahead. Sorry, Dave. Uh, I was going to uh, ask no, you think you had no. an, an advantage as an Iowa student. And uh, especially as a graduate from a high school in Iowa, like, what do you think it's like trying to make a change? Maybe if you're in a medical student in a state that isn't your own um, and talking to legislatures when you're you're not from their state. I would definitely say that was an advantage, but I'd also say it was an advantage because I've traveled throughout the state. So there was I, you know, I grew up in Des Moines, but I went to school up in well, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, and now I'm in Iowa City. I did a rotation up in Sioux City. I did a rotation in Algona, and so that was helpful because you know I I talked to the legislator from Algona or who had Algona in his district, and I was like, hey, you know, I've been up there. I love the area. So it was I I kind of joked as is building a rapport. You know, we talk about building rapport with your patients. You know, I just had to quickly build rapport with my legislators. And uh, so that's what really helped. But I think it, just in general, though, the legislators just want to make sure that you have buy-in. They don't want a huge corporation from California coming in and saying, we need to get this done because what investment do you have to the state? Um, who, you know, who are you? What investment do you have? And so it was easy for me because it was clear, you know, I'm born and raised and I like that I enjoy the state. I want to come back and stay in practice here. Um, but, and so that can be difficult for other students, especially out of state. But at the same time, you know, if you say, Hey, you know, I am from another state, but I have, I absolutely love my time here in Iowa. You guys have a great state. You know, I, I would highly consider 
coming back here to practice because I see a need that needs to be met and I can meet that need. Um, and I've really enjoyed my time, you know, just kind of flatter them <laughs> and just say, hey, I, you know, in other states, including my home state, you know, we've thought this is a good idea. Here's why. Um, and I really think it'd be great for Iowa. And here's why, you know, as long as they can see that you have some buy in and that you're invested, um, I think you you they would listen to you. Um, it was like I said, it was probably a lot easier for me just because of my experience and and where I'm from. But it's not it's not a hurdle that can't be overcome. Uh, that is our show. Sarah Eikenberry, thank you for joining us to talk about your experience on the uh, in the advocacy clerkship. That sounds really neat and crazy. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys all. It's fun. Maddie, Ellen, Aline, Sahana. Thank you for being my co-host today. Yep. Thank you, Dave. And what kind of garbage person would I be if I didn't thank you, Short Coats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are available. I remind you that your questions are vital to the show because they mean the show can be what you want it to be about. Send your questions and comments to the shortcoats at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT to talk about it on the show while your podcast app is open. Give And I know it is. Give us some more stars and a review to let us know if we're doing right. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.